Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. How are we doing? Hey, what a great day. We've already dedicated a child. We've been praying over graduates. Uh, and I'm so thankful for what God is doing right now at Canton Church. It's, it's an exciting season. Every few weeks or every few months, you may hear me kind of say something like that. But it really is an exciting season here at Canton Church. We were kind of looking through some numbers and talking through some stories this last week. And one of the things that we do is every week when our staff gathers to kind of have staff meeting, which we do on a weekly basis, the first thing that we do before we go into any agenda item, the first item on the agenda is wins. And we celebrate wins, and wins for us are names and stories. And so we tell the stories of what God's doing in your life. And so we encourage you to share those stories with your team leaders on your volunteer teams or in your life group or just in church on Sundays. Just share those stories because we love to hear what God is doing in your life. I mean, just from the standpoint of just from a strictly numbers standpoint, our attendance is up this year. I was talking about dedicating children. Our kids' ministry is like just busting at the seams. We're about to create another environment for some of our kids kind of as we move towards the fall and split one of our age groups to kind of create more space for them. Uh, our kids' ministry is up like 11 or 12% year over year, and our church attendance is up like 15% as a huge part of that from, from being with kids and family ministries. Our attendance numbers are huge. Salvations, we've had more people saved to this point in the year than we've had any year in our history. We've had people baptized. 80, Pastor Matt Popham, who leads our kids' ministry and leads life groups, he was telling me this last week, 87% of our church is in life groups. 87% of our church. So I don't want to make you feel bad if you're not in a life group. <laughs> but 87% of our church is in a life group. What in the world are you waiting on, right? Um, over 50% of our church served in the last month here at our church on Sundays or Wednesdays or through life group ministry. Um, and there's just so many other things. This past weekend, just, just thinking about the last few days, we had over 50 students that came for a lock-in on Friday night. Any of the students that were here for that? Any of the volunteers? Yeah, so um, there's, they got no energy because they lost their voice and they lost all their energy. They stayed up all night. Um, over 50 kids, Pastor Casey and Haley just did a great job. I was in student ministry for 10 years. Lock-ins are of the devil um, is how I feel about them. <laughs> Um, but, you know, so I, I saw some of you parents that were here to pick up your kids around 6.45 or 7 o'clock on Saturday morning, and I think you would agree with me. But uh, then our kids came home and slept all day on Saturday, and so then they couldn't sleep last night. But uh, we also had a great turnout last night to our men's cookout. I was able to show up just right at the end. I missed some of you. We had a baseball game, kind of a playoff game, and so I missed part of the first part of that, and so it came towards the end. But just a great turnout. There's just a lot of great things happening at Canton Church. So we're thankful that you're here. And here's what I would say to you. Just, just stay plugged in. Stay connected. Stay involved in what God's doing. Over the next few weeks, we've got some incredible things. You heard about that, the camps and the, the things that are happening this summer. Next Sunday is a big Sunday. We have Communicator Sunday. Um, that's something that we've done over the last year or so. And this is an opportunity for you to hear from people in our church. And so it's not a circus act. It's not a novelty show. Um, it is people that we selected that have the gift and the call of God on their life to share what God has spoken to them or to share their testimony or to just unpack scripture for us. And so next Sunday, we will not have an 8.30 service as a part of our holiday schedule. We'll just have 10 and 11.30. 
And I encourage you to be here to hear from, in each of those two services, we'll have five different communicators that will share for a couple of minutes. And I've already read all their topics. I've actually read some of their kind of talks, their messages. And, man, so powerful. Uh, and so I encourage you to be here next Sunday for Communicator Sunday. And the following Sunday, that first Sunday of June, we kick off a brand new series on the book of Romans. And we're going to spend the summer in Romans. Uh, and, and Romans is a book that is just theologically rich. I mean, it, it allows us to really understand what we believe, why we believe it, and why it matters to us. And so we're going to spend some time there. But I think each week is just going to have such a unique way for us to kind of take hold of and grab some handles of what God's Word says to us. So I encourage you to be with us as many weeks. And, and we're going to travel. I know you're going to travel some perhaps, or you're going to do some different things through the summer. Uh, but I encourage you, like even if you miss, grab the podcast so you stay on track with us. We've got a devotional guide we're going to give to you the beginning of that series so you can kind of track with us all summer long. Today I'm excited to conclude this series, You Asked For It. Uh, this is a series that you helped us to create. You submitted the topics for this series. Um, you did that through a variety of ways, through email, uh, some of you just through conversation, and then uh, many of you filled out the surveys on Easter weekend, hundreds and hundreds of surveys that were submitted on that weekend about some topics that you would like for our church to address. Some of those we're going to use at later times throughout this year and moving into next year, uh, but some of those we pulled into this series. And so the first week, a couple weeks ago, we looked at the Bible. How do we know it's real? How do we know it's credible? What do we do with the offensive parts of Scripture, those that are things that seem to be an error or contradictory? How do we handle those things? Uh, the second week, we talked about God's will. What is it? Uh, how do I know if I'm in it? What do I do if I've missed it? Uh, and so we talked about that last week. Corey and I, my wife, we talked about the, the second most requested topic on those surveys um, out of the hundreds and hundreds of them. I think it was over 100 um, that requested that we talk about how to raise kids in today's culture. So we talked about parenting really of all ages. But we tried to use our, our understanding, our context, and then God's word just to talk about how families are formed and what God really desires for families uh, to do and how parents uh, really have this incredible role in the, in the lives of their children of all ages. And so if you've missed any week, I encourage you to go back to the podcast, listen to that, and kind of keep up with us through this series. And today, um, where each other week we've kind of taken one subject and we have just looked at that topic, the Bible, God's will, parenting. Today, I I'm, I'm kind of looking at a number of different topics under one larger umbrella. And I will tell you at 830, I did not get to finish all of the content uh, my, my kids came back into my office uh, in between service, and Cooper, my oldest, said, Dad, that's a lot of material. Um, so I apologize. Uh, one, of, one of the guys that works in the media team, I won't call his name, it rhymes with Schmustin. Um, but he, um, he said that could have been a six-week series. So I apologize in advance. So just kind of buckle up. We're going we're gonna to talk about some stuff today that could, um, I, I have summarized it by calling this topic spiritual stuff. I don't mean that to be a heretic. I don't mean that to be insensitive to any of the topics we're going to talk about today. But many of the things that have been submitted to us related to this idea of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and Pentecost and uh, prophecy and end times and revelation, all of that. I'm going to try to address as much of that as I've got time for today. And then uh, at each week what we've had in, in the next screen, you'll see that there'll be a text number at the bottom of the screen. If you have questions as I'm talking, you text those questions in. It goes into an app. All we get is your question. We don't get your information, your name, or any of that kind of stuff. You can submit a question. We'll answer some of those at the end. And then what we've decided to do is this coming week, we're going to record a special podcast episode to try to address the questions that we weren't able to get to uh, from the stage. So we'll, uh, we'll add another podcast to our channel just to address some of these questions. So really, a couple of weeks ago, or it's been probably two or three months ago now, I got a question in the lobby um, as someone was leaving, and they asked me this question. 
They said, why do you as a church, I hear you talk about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Why do you still believe that the Holy Spirit is active when it's so obvious that the Holy Spirit stopped at the end of Scripture? Well, I was like, man, thanks for greeting me with that on your way out. Now that we don't have time to unpack that, I said, come back for our You Ask For It series. So I hope you're in the room today. Um, but I said, you know, you're making some assumptions that I wouldn't make. I don't think that the Holy Spirit stopped working at the end of Scripture. And then they pointed me to a Scripture that some of you may be familiar with. What they were, were saying and kind of basing their belief on is a kind of a, a line of thought that would be referred to as cessationism. Um, this idea that, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the works of the Holy Spirit have ceased. They have stopped. And we really find that in the second portion of verse 8 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. <clears throat> and this is what it says. <clears throat> it says, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. There, there are several other places in Scripture that cessationists would, would kind of draw from. But the idea that, that eventually, or at some point, or maybe it's already happened, the work of God has stopped, and the work of the Holy Spirit has stopped or will stop. And so what's important for me in any time I come to a verse like this is to try to understand context. If you're reading Scripture and you read something and you're trying to understand it, you can't just take a single verse and go, oh, well, I know exactly what that means. You need to understand the larger context. So the context means I'm going to take the surrounding verses. I'm even going to take the entire book or that chapter of the book. I'm going to take who's the author, who are they writing to. I'm going to try to take a, a historical understanding. What's taking place during that period of time in history? Is this uh, something that they're writing to train and to teach, or is this something that they're writing to bring correction? So all of 1 Corinthians is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at the city of Corinth. And this is a letter, it's one of several letters that he writes to the church in response to letters that they've submitted to him. Because you see in a number of places in 1 Corinthians especially, but even in 2 Corinthians, where he's writing, you have asked or you have said or in response to. So some of the things that have been submitted to him, he's now responding to. And so what we understand about 1 Corinthians 13 is it's right in the middle of 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. Not because I'm a math wizard, because that's the way numbers work, right? 12, 13, 14. And so 12 and 14 spend a lot of time talking about the works of the Holy Spirit in, in an individual's life and in the life of a congregation like we have here. And then right in the middle of 12 and 14 is 13, which if you've been to a wedding at any point in your life, you've kind of probably seen some of 1 Corinthians 13 there. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not self-seeking, right? It keeps no record of wrongs. And then we come to this passage of scripture right here. And so this larger passage, I've asked them to put it onto one screen. So it's going to be a little larger text than we see normally, but I've asked them to keep it up here so we can read it all together. So after we get love is patient, love is kind, all the wedding stuff, the, the pastor may or may not have included these three words, but if he did, he started verse eight, but then he stopped. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So I've asked them to leave this up. This is all on one screen. Hopefully you're able to kind of you know, keep it without getting a headache there. We try to 
chop it up most, most of these screens. But looking at this, what we understand is that love never fails. Why would love never fail? Because love is a part of the character of God. God is eternal. Love then becomes this eternal part of the character and nature of God. And so as we spend eternity with God, we also experience the love of God that never passes away. So love never fails. But look at the next few things. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Why would that happen? Why would these things be stilled? Why would they cease to exist? Why would it pass away? Because in the eternal nature of God... When we get down here, all we see right now as a reflection is in a mirror. But then one day we shall see him face to face. This is talking about what is to come. Up here it says, but when completeness comes. When we get to that place where we are spending eternity with God face to face with him, why would we need prophecy any longer? Prophecy, which we're going to talk about in just a minute, prophecy is the things that we tell in advance. Through the supernatural empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God, we are foretelling, we are talking about something that has not yet happened, right? So I'll go ahead and prophesy, I'm going to eat lunch today. I don't skip meals. Unless I'm fasting, if the Lord leads me to fast, I'm not fasting today. I'm sick. And so you feed a fever and feed a cold in my life is really what you do. And so I'm going to eat lunch today. And so I'm prophesying that. But under the supernatural power of God, if I were to prophesy something that I'm saying, God says this to me for you, I am foretelling something that is to come to pass. But once I see God face to face, I'm living in the hereafter. I'm living in the completeness of the prophetic. And so I don't need prophecy anymore, so it can cease. And the tongues that are available, which we're going to talk about in a minute, those, those things where God is using to reconcile language, reconcile uh, uh, prayer language, reconcile communication, why would I need that? Because I'm, I'm face-to-face with him. I'm communicating with him face-to-face. I don't need that, so they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. So one thing, one argument against cessationism is that knowledge has not passed away. In fact, knowledge continues to increase. So if one part of this verse is not true, then all of this would not be true. But even beyond that, let's look at this. Uh, it talks about what when completeness comes, uh, what is in part disappears. Now I know in part, know knowledge, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. The idea is all that I know now is as if it's a reflection in a mirror, but what I will know then is complete because I see him face to face. The knowledge that passes away is all that I think I understand through the filter of living on earth before I am face to face with God. I do not believe in cessationism. I do not believe that the works of the Holy Spirit ended in the days of Scripture. I believe that the work of the Holy Spirit is active and alive today. I believe that as God continues to unveil his story to us, that he continues to utilize the Holy Spirit to do a work in and through us that's important for today. And so that's really where we start in this kind of search for understanding about the, the things that are spiritual, the things that are the Holy Spirit. And, and I talked about the Holy Spirit a little bit. I want to talk about our church for just a second. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We just sang a song about him. We don't believe that the Holy Spirit is an it. We believe that the Holy Spirit is a person. We believe that the Holy Spirit is a part of the Trinity. And what that means is that we believe that when we're talking about God, we are talking about Three unique persons kind of uniquely blended together here. We're believing that we're talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are one, and yet they are three equal. And so you can use the egg, you can use whatever imagery or illustration that you want. 
But we know in part, we, we understand through ref, like a reflection in a mirror. We try to understand and grasp what it would look like for us. But we believe that the Holy Spirit is equal part God to God the Father to God the Son that we see throughout Scripture. We understand that all the way back in Genesis at the creation story, that according to John chapter 1, that Jesus, who was the Word, was with God in the beginning. So at the beginning of all that was, Jesus was there. And so you go, where was the spirit? Well, Genesis tells us that the spirit of God hovered over the chaos and darkness of the world. So all the way back in the beginning of Genesis, the Trinity was present. Then we see in the baptism of Jesus, we, see, we hear the voice of God. We see the dove representing the Holy Spirit. We see Jesus coming out of the water. We see the Trinity represented in this incredible picture of baptism. And so we believe that the Holy Spirit of God is, is God in, in the way that God gifts him to us. And where we draw that from is a place where Jesus, who had come to the earth, we're not going to spend a ton of time here, Jesus had come to the earth, and he's leaving the earth. So I'm just kind of skipping over all of the life of Jesus. And in John chapter 17, Jesus says, i got to go away. i got to leave. And the disciples are like, what? That's terrible. We can't imagine life without the physical embodiment of who you claim to be. And he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. It's better for you that I leave because I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit. Now, I can't imagine hearing that as the disciples and them going, wait a minute, what? There is something that we can't see that we would have access to that's better than something that we can see like you? I don't understand. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. It is so much better for you that I leave so that the Holy Spirit, the helper, can come and guide you in the ways of truth and remind you all that I've said and draw you to conviction towards the things and the truths of God. And so Jesus goes to the cross. He goes to the tomb. He's resurrected eventually. He would tell his disciples, hey, go and wait in Jerusalem, and I'm going to send you power, and the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And then in Acts chapter 2, we come to this place where it's called the Day of Pentecost. And in that place, the, the believers are there in the upper room, about 120 of them, and they are there. And Scripture describes this split or divided or cloven tongues of fire that comes and descends on them. And they, they begin to speak in tongues. They begin to come out of the upper room there. And in that place, what happens is they, they come out into the streets and they begin to speak in tongues. And then we see the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we talk about us as a church, we say that we are a Pentecostal church. Part of the reason that we say that is because we're a part of the Church of God denomination. And so Church of God is, is based in Cleveland, Tennessee. There's millions and millions of members all around the world. And, and, and as a part of our denomination, we are a part of the Pentecostal movement. Now, just in case you're not familiar with the Pentecostal movement, one in four Christians. Now, in the world currently, there are two billion Christians. So one in four Christians, or more, more at this point, one in four, uh, claim to be Pentecostal. Meaning that they believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They believe in the active work of the Holy Spirit in present day. That the things that happened on the day of Pentecost are available to us today. And so there are hundreds of millions of Pentecostals of which we as a church are a part of that movement. And so as we look at this idea of Pentecost and we look at this idea of the Holy Spirit, a lot of questions come up about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to talk again about tongues in a minute. I'm going to talk about some other things that maybe you've heard about, maybe you're very familiar with. But when we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the, the, really the work. If you hear me say manifestation, that's a, that's a $2 word. My grandfather would call that a $2 word, okay? It could be a scary word because you might go, oh, I don't know, things that manifest, I don't like that, right? But all we're talking about is the outward demonstration of something. The, the, the thing that I can see, the demonstration of something that I can see. So when we're talking about the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, we're saying the demonstration of something that I can see. The work of the Holy Spirit that's visible. And so when we talk about that, we talk about these gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
we draw some of these gifts or the, the, the description of these gifts out of a number of places. There are primarily five places in the New Testament that we draw these from, but they are outlined throughout Scripture. There's a place in the book of Exodus, I believe it's Exodus 33 and 34, that talks about two of the craftsmen who were working on the tabernacle that were filled with the Spirit of God and gifted with the gift of craftsmanship. And so even back in Exodus, we see that. We see that throughout some of the Old Testament uh, literature there. And we see that in the New Testament. And we see that, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth, who was carrying the cousin, John the Baptist, uh, the cousin of Jesus, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Like, we understand that, that when we're talking about that, we're working on these demonstrations of the manifestations, the outward visible uh, signs that the Holy Spirit's at work in a person's life. And one of those places that we draw from is 1 Corinthians 12. And Paul is talking here, remember, in response to the church in the city of Corinth, and he's talking about these gifts. Look at this beginning in verse 8. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines so when I read this, what I want you to know is that this is not an exhaustive list. What I mean is this is not all of the gifts that there are. I reference that there's a number of other places that talk about other gifts that are credited to being works of or gifts of the Holy Spirit. So if I were to say to you, the United States, let me, let me tell you some states. It's you know Alabama and Tennessee and Georgia and Kentucky and Maine and Massachusetts. That, those are states, but it's not all the states. Well, that's kind of this list that I've, I've given to you out of 1 Corinthians 12. These are some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but not all of the gifts that are available to us through the Holy Spirit. But when I read through this list, I think the most important thing that I read out of this is what we just read. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he Determines. So as we understand spiritual gifts, we don't think it's like, oh, this is a sign of spiritual maturity. Oh, I've got to you know, kind of work almost like a baseball diagram. And if I get to first base of spiritual maturity and then I get to second base, somewhere along the way from second to third to home, I'm going to get all the spiritual gifts and then I'm going to get to heaven. That's not really how it works. The Holy Spirit determines and distinguishes how he would give these gifts for the edification, for the building up of the body of Christ and for the sake of unbelievers to be drawn into the family of God. So he determines how they are distributed. But when you read through that incredible list of gifts, some of you go, man, I don't even need a message of wisdom and a message of knowledge and faith and miracles and healing and prophecy and tongues and discernment. and dis I don't understand all those things. I want to talk about two of them. We have taught on every one of these. So you can go back through our podcast channel and find all the teaching that we've done on each of these gifts of the Spirit over the last seven or eight years. But I want to talk about two of them because they came up in uh, kind of advance of this series. One of them is prophecy. I talked about prophecy just a little bit as it relates to, to cessationism. But um, we got some questions about, like, what do we believe about prophecy? Is prophecy dead and, and gone? Have all the prophecies kind of been stated, and are we just waiting on the fulfillment of those things? Um, here's what we believe. We believe that God chose to use people in Scripture to be prophets to foretell of the events that were to come. We believe that God continues to speak through people to help us to understand with wisdom and knowledge how to follow after God. 
And so, yes, we believe that God could empower and enable someone to speak prophetically about something that has not yet happened in your life or in the, the circumstances surrounding your life in the world around us. Absolutely, we believe that that's the case. God could speak in that way. A couple of things that I would say as we, as we hear something that we believe to be a prophetic word or prophecy, here, here's some filters that I use when I hear someone, because Believe it or not, I have a lot of people that say to me over the course of time, I'm not saying every single day or every single week, I have a lot of people that say, hey, this is, I believe the Lord told me this for you. So I get that on a semi-regular basis. And so when I hear things like that, here's some ways that I filter it, okay? Does this in any way contradict God's word? Now, for me to know that, i got to start knowing God's word better. So I need to be in God's word. I need to be reading the Bible. I need to be looking through resources that I trust. I need to be talking to wise people in my life and, and asking them to help me to discern, to distinguish what God's word says. Does it in any way contradict? Because God's not going to say something now that contradicts what he said before. The second thing, does this in any way contradict what I know about God's character? Well, what do I know about God's character? I know that he's holy. I know that he's just. He must punish sin. I know that he's, he's loving and he's grace-filled and he's forgiving. So what do I know about his character? Does this prophetic word or does this word that someone's giving to me, they say, is from God, does this in any way contradict what I believe and what I know about God's character? And then thirdly, does this in any way contradict what I believe about God's covenant with me? The idea being that what I understand is that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross so that I could be saved. And so that all who call on the name of Jesus, who, who are asking him to forgive their sins and be the Lord of their life, can be saved. And don't have to suffer the punishment of separation for eternity from him. So anyone that would claim kind of eternal damnation for everybody and for destruction of all the world and everyone in it. That goes against the covenant relationship of God through the person and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So does this go against the covenant? Any of those filters that cause me to question, and then I just take that word and I put it into question. I don't just throw it away, but I put it into question. I say, God, if there's something I can learn from that, glean from that, help me to do so. But I'm not going to be distracted by it. I'm just going to continue to pursue truth from your word and how you speak into my heart and into my life. The other thing that I would say related to prophecy that I think is important is that I have a choice to believe, to discern, and to obey or not. Just because someone says something is from God doesn't mean that I have to believe it, that I have to believe it's from God, or that I have to do what they're saying. Uh, and so I would encourage you to, to get as close as you can to God and continue to grow in relationship with him so that anytime you hear anything, whether it's from this stage or any time in your life, and you go, I don't know if that's God. I, when we were reading through the list of, of those spiritual gifts, we were talking about the idea of distinguishing between spirits, discerning between spirits. What we're talking about is, I believe it's so important to know, is this of God or is this not of God? And so for all of us, we need to kind of grow our ability to hear from God and to know what that looks like. And so for all of us, as we process anything that sounds like prophecy or anything that sounds like a word from God, I have to believe it, I have to discern it, and obey it. Or... Choose not to, believing that it's not from God. And the third thing is this. The weight of prophecy is great. The weight of prophecy is great, so go slow. If you believe you're someone that has a prophetic gift, that you have uh, the gift of God on your life, the gift of the Holy Spirit to speak prophetically or to allow the Lord to use you in this supernatural way, I would say go slowly. Get some wise voices in your life who love you but aren't impressed by you. 
and allow them to speak into your life and then obey God as fully as you can. So let's talk about speaking in tongues. We get this question a whole lot. So I'm going to try to spend as much time. I have three minutes and 38 seconds. I'm going to spend as much time <laughs> as I possibly can about tongues. Um, so when we talk about speaking in tongues, there are two specific kinds of tongues that I want to address. The first one is found in Acts chapter 2. We talked about this as it relates to the day of Pentecost. Look at this in verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude, those that were in the upper room, came together... Uh, and, and they were bewildered. I'm sorry, the people out in the streets. They came together bewildered because each one of them was hearing them, the people in the upper room that had come down, speak to them in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, uh, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So quickly understand this. In Acts chapter 2, when they were in the upper room, in Jerusalem at that time, there was a festival and so Jews from all the known places, all the known languages of the world were gathered there in Jerusalem. And the reason that this is important is that if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, and this is where my kids started telling me I had too much content in the first service, I apologize. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis, you find this incredible story of the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel was where humanity decided that they were going to take it upon themselves to create enough good things to get to God. We're going to build a tower to get to God ourselves. And God says, what we're going to do is we're going to confuse their efforts because God's ultimate plan is not that you and I would do enough good works to get ourselves to God, but that we would trust that God has provided the way for us to get to him through Jesus Christ. And so we can't build a tower of good works. We can't work together with all of humanity and become smart enough or good enough. He said, so we're going to confuse them. We're going to send them out. He spread them out among the nations and he made them to speak different languages to confuse them. So they couldn't speak to one another. And then you come to the day of Pentecost and all the languages of the world are there. And all of a sudden through the supernatural spirit of God, they come out of the upper room and they're speaking to all the languages of the world. And they are beginning to proclaim the greatest news ever told that Jesus is the way of salvation to every language that was created at the Tower of Babel. So on the day of Pentecost, you have this incredible language demonstration supernaturally that these Galileans, these unlearned, unschooled people were able to speak supernaturally into languages so that the gospel could be shared. In other places throughout the New Testament, we see when the Holy Spirit uh, rests upon someone's life, they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which, maybe, which followed their salvation experience. We see that they spoke in an unknown language in some places. 1 Corinthians 14, uh, Paul talks about what that looks like in the, in the context of a congregation when people are speaking in unknown languages. If you don't have uh, someone to give interpre excuse me, interpretation of that tongue, of that unknown language, then you should sit silently and pray to yourself and pray to God in that unknown language. Now, it's different when someone gives an interpretation than when someone gives a translation. This summer, when our missions team goes to Guatemala, those that are on this trip that don't speak Spanish are going to speak English, and someone is going to be there standing beside them translating word for word what they say so that those that are in Guatemala that don't speak English can understand them. When someone gives an interpretation of tongue, what they're doing is they're helping to, to provide meaning to what someone has shared under the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that distributes the gifts as he sees fit gives the manifestation, the demonstration through tongues, and gives the manifestation, the demonstration through the interpretation, not the translation, the interpretation, the meaning, so that the body is built up. 
so that we are edified together, so that we grow together. Because ultimately, whether we're talking about Acts chapter 2 or whether we're talking about 1 Corinthians 14 or we're talking about all these other places where, where tongues are present, what we're talking about is that God is writing a grander story. God is all about the reconciliation of mankind. All the way back in the garden, there was a tear in the fabric of the story of man and relationship with God. And that tear was through sin. At the Tower of Babel, there was a further tear as man decided we are enough to make our way to God. And God said, no, you're not. That's not the story that I'm writing. That's not the way that this ends. And there was a tear and there was confusion and there was languages and there was, there was all of these uh, things where they had to be separated. And then God brings them back together on the day of Pentecost and says, I will demonstrate my power through you. But what is the purpose of that power? Before Acts chapter 2, again with the crazy math is Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Ultimately, the power must have purpose. The power must have purpose, and I will fight you to the death on this. I believe that the purpose of the Holy Spirit is the power to be witnesses to the greatest story ever told. That faith and miracles and tongues and prophecy and words of wisdom and words of knowledge are not so that we feel better about being Pentecostal, but so that we can declare the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who have not yet heard it. And we do that in Jerusalem where we live, in Judea and Samaria and the region around us, and to the ends of the earth. And if it was all about all of these manifestations or just getting us to heaven, God would have done that. But it's so that all may know. It's so that all may know and come into saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, that's, I don't have time to get to it. That's, that's where I was going with the book of Revelation and end times. The book of Revelations is three things, quickly. It's a letter from, from John, the revelator on the Isle of Patmos, about the churches that existed that you and I can glean from to understand the broken heart of God, about the state of the affairs of those who say that they are believers. And then it is part uh, apocalyptic writing and part prophetic writing as it talks about the things that are to come and the end of times. But ultimately, here's a few things that you need to know about Revelation. God cares about his church, of which you and I are a part of. He cares about his church. Secondly, though, he must punish sin. He has to. He's holy. He's just. He's righteous. And so a part of this is that he must punish sin. But it's not just the punishment. He also will reward those who believe. He rewards them with eternal life with him, but he also rewards them through their works on earth through the faith that they have in him. They're not saved by works, but they are rewarded for their works through the faith that they have in him. But ultimately, this is what I want you to know about the Revelation story, about end times, as you try to interpret it and understand it. Is it literal? Is it figurative? How does it happen? Is it chronological part of it? Yes, I don't know. Here's what you need to know. At the end of the book, God wins. God wins. At the end of it all, the story of mankind being reconciled back to God comes together. And so what we believe about Revelation is that it is this prophetic book that has not yet come to pass in our lives. And so if it's out in front of us, then the story of God is not complete in our lives yet. And so when there are days when you feel like you're still losing, guess what? That just means that the story is not over yet because in the end, God wins. 
Ultimately, when we feel like I don't really know where God is at in all this, it could be that God is allowing the details of our lives and allowing the details of the world to continue to play out in such a way that in the end, it all comes together in the way that he has foretold. That's what I believe. And if you don't, I understand that, and I wish I would have put this message together in a better way that maybe didn't create as much leftover space here. I'll try to answer those things in the podcast, and so I apologize for that. But ultimately, God wins. And I don't say that to kind of position us with pride and, and a haughty spirit. They go, oh, we win, we win. No, if we believe that, and we say, God, if I'm still living, if I'm still breathing, if I'm still here, what is it that you want me to do? Who do I know that's not in relationship with you? How do you want to use me? How do you want to demonstrate your power and your presence through my life so that those who do not know you could find life in Jesus Christ? How can I help tell the greatest story ever told? God, would you endue me with power so that I can be your witness to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth? I want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody looking around, just for a second. If you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, if in the end God wins, I want to be on the winning team. And I'm not. And I want to be on team Jesus, and I want him to forgive my sins and to lead and guide my life. I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I want to change my eternity forever. I want it to start today. I want to make sure that there's no part of my life that I'm withholding from God, and so I ask him today to forgive my sins and to lead my life. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Thank you so much. Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, it's not about salvation. I just want to be open. I just want to be open to whatever God would have for me. If that's to receive more of his presence and his power, if that's to receive the Holy Spirit, if it's to allow myself to be used by God in supernatural ways, I just want to help tell the greatest story ever told in whatever way that God chooses. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? God, I thank you today for every person in this place. And I thank you for every person that has received you today as Lord and Savior of their life. We believe that when they respond to you, declare their need for you, that God, you respond to them immediately. God, I thank you for that. You do what I can't do. You forgive sins forever. And God, they're now a part of the family of God. And so, Lord, we celebrate with heaven that that decision's been made. God, I pray now for every person that lifted their hands to say, I'm open. God, use me. Do what you desire to do in and through my life. God, I pray that you would help us, each of us, to be your witnesses to the ends of the earth, starting in our home, across the street, in our jobs, in our schools, in this community, to tell the greatest story ever told, the story of Jesus Christ, come to earth to save those who are lost. So God, we thank you for that. Continue to work in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga. 